So that's what I'm excited about. So, so we're talking about stewardship. And last week, we began this series, and we were talking about building a firm foundation because Pastor Stu said it a little bit ago, without a foundation to build from, uh, our house is on shaky ground, and, and we just uh, will never get any momentum. Anybody ever feel like that in, in any area of their life? You just never felt like you can get any momentum, any traction? It's time sometimes to look at the foundation that that thing's being built on. And if it's not built on the Scripture and on the things of God, it's not being built properly. Amen? So we started there, and I want to quickly summarize for those that weren't here or just to remind those of us that were here what we talked about last week. Number one, we just said everything starts with God, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. What? God did everything. It is all God's. It all starts with God, and stewardship is no different. Stewardship is exactly what we're talking about this, this week and next week probably and maybe one more week after that. I'm still mapping it out. But it, it all starts with God. Without the foundation of the Lord in our life, without understanding God's heart when it comes to stewardship, uh, we'll be on shaky ground. So we, we talked about that quite a bit last week. And we stopped the conflict with ourselves. Listen, you're not in conflict with God. God owns it all already. Until you believe that it begins with God, you'll have conflict within yourself of whose stuff you're actually owning. And that brought us to number two. We've been entrusted to take care of God's stuff. Remember, it's not a giving issue. It's a heart issue. We talked about that out of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God said, I've given you dominion. Remember, dominion means that we're managers of something. So God has given management over all the stuff that he gives us. Isn't that great? That means, though, that we're responsible to God and accountable to him for what we do with this stuff. Ouch. And the third thing we talked about last week was also what we do with God's stuff was important to him, to us, and to others, right? So this morning, we want to begin to build a solid structure on that foundation that we set last week. For that, we're going to turn to the book of John, chapter 6. And it's not typically a passage of scripture that we find a stewardship message in, but I'll tell you, I really, as I was looking through this, I really said, you know, this is exactly what I want to try to convey this morning as we speak about a heart of stewardship and building that structure. John chapter 6. We're going to read the first 13 verses. And I know Pastor Stu already prayed for me, but I'd like to go ahead and and ask the Lord to help me the remainder of this morning. Father, um, I do. I just commit myself to you. I want the words that I speak to be from your throne. I want your Holy Spirit to, to speak through me, because that's when it gets into the heart. And that's what we need, Lord. Many of us, including myself, we need a heart change. Sometimes we identify stuff as ours, and it's mine, 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 but Lord, it really is all yours. So bless the word of God today, and and bless the preacher giving it, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So here we go, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And when a great multitude followed him, because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted his eyes, and I need to pause there because it struck me this morning as I was going through my notes and praying One of the first things that we need to identify is that we just need to lift up our eyes. 
There's a lot of need around us, and some of us are, are buried in the sand like an ostrich. And I thought it was fascinating that Jesus lifted his eyes, and he recognized that there was a need. And tonight, I'm going to start a study on, out of Proverbs on the, you can call it the seven deadly sins. It's really not that. There's the six things that, that God hates, and there's one that's an abomination. I'm actually going to be starting this series on the eyes tonight. So anyway, just kind of a segue, just to let you know where we're going at Sunday Night Live, if you'd like to join us. But Verse 5 again, then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. When I was in Israel, uh, they kind of said, this is where we believe that was, because it was a real large grassy knoll that, that they believed that this actually took place. So the men sat down, a number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks and distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Let me ask you a question. Who's the steward in the story? You can talk back to me. It's okay. The people? The one that gathered up the pieces? Yeah, I would say uh, there's probably not a wrong answer, but from my perspective this morning, the way the Lord has kind of put this into my, my spirit, I really feel like the, the young boy is the steward. As we talk about a heart of stewardship and, 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 and building a solid foundation, I, I want to take a look at this young man's life and, and kind of, I don't know, maybe help us a little bit in the area of stewardship. But did you notice something? It all started with Jesus. Jesus lifted his eyes, and he saw the need, and then he asked the question. Remember in the beginning, God. It all starts with God. So what's going on here in the scene is Jesus had been through probably one of the roughest patches of his ministry next to his 40 days of fasting in the wilderness and and his temptation of of the enemy, of the devil. He has just healed the woman at at the well. He healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. At the same time, he's finding out that Herod wants to kill him and that his cousin, John the Baptist, is dead. And yet, he's confronted with another problem. (laughs) You ever felt like that? (laughs) Maybe you feel like that today, that all chaos is coming in. But Jesus, I love love Jesus. You love Jesus? Segway. He asked the question, or he was asked the question, how do we feed all these people? How do we feed everybody that's here? And Jesus, he's so cool because he just stays calm. He's trying to get away to rest. That was his intention. That's why he wanted to get in the boat and go to the other side so that he can rest and, and get away from, 
from the demands of ministry, from the demands of life, from, from the, just the demands of, of, of having relationship. And yes, can I get an amen over there? So he calls his disciples over and he asks them a simple question. Where can we buy some bread so that we can feed all these people? <laughs> Philip, who's always the logical one. Are you crazy, Jesus? All right, he probably didn't say it like that. But what he does say is he says 200 denarii. In other words, about eight months worth of salary wouldn't be enough for us to buy enough for these people just to have one little bite. You want to know if we have enough money to go buy bread. But look at what verse 6 says. Look at this again. But this, Jesus said to him, for he himself knew what he would do. That brings me to the first point, and it's a no-brainer. You might have already filled it in. God has a plan. See, God already knew what he was going to do in this instance. He already knew that there was a, 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 a young boy sitting close by. See, see, I'll tell you something about the Lord. This might be revolutionary for somebody, but he's never stumped. He, he's never stymied. He, he's never sidetracked. He's never scared. He knew that there was a little boy probably sitting close by with a lunch pail. Jesus knew that he was going to perform one of the greatest miracles in his ministry before their very eyes. God has a plan. The disciples didn't know it. The crowd didn't know it. The, the little boy doesn't even know it. But God still, nonetheless, has a plan. And God still, nonetheless, has a plan for you. And that's a structural truth for your life. God has a plan for you. Why do you keep saying that, Pastor? Because somebody's not getting it yet. You're showing up every Sunday, and you're still saying, yeah, maybe for the guy next to me, but not for me. And I'm here to tell you today, God has a plan for you. Still only got three amens. Now, I'm preaching really hard up here. I know we talked about it last week, but it's, 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 it's worth repeating. Because it's something that we can build a life from. When we get this in our spirit, when we get this deep down within us, that verse that we decided is our anthem, that is our church's verse, that, that God knows the plans that he has for us. Let's read it together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Hope and a future. Some of you still don't believe it. I come from that place. Some of you know my story, some of my background. I'm not going to get into all that. But when you come out of addictions and you come out of strongholds and you, you come out of a, a, a life of not really having any mentorship or having a father or maybe a mother... You guys know my mom. She was awesome. And I'm speaking to somebody here. And you come into the house of God, you feel like, you know, I'm just lucky to be saved. I'm, I'm okay with just being saved. I got that far. I don't think God has any more plans for my life. But God has a plan. Look at Psalm chapter 139. Verses 13 through 16. For you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. But in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. I had to go to the message because I just, I just love the way this reads. Do we have it in the message? Yeah. Oh, yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. Thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. Someone needs to say that to himself. I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. He's talking about you. You made me inside and out. You know every bone in my body, the broken ones and all. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life were all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Listen, before you were ever even created in your mother's womb, before your daddy ever had a blink in his eye for your mama, God knew you. And he formed a plan for your life. Are you getting it yet? What does this have to do with stewardship, Pastor Ron? It has everything to do with stewardship. Everything. God owns it all, and he owns you too. In the beginning, God created you and me. You might not know it. You might not see it. You might not understand it. You might not believe it, but it doesn't make it any less true. You have the right to be wrong in this regard. I'll give you a minute. I'll give you a minute. I'll give you dramatic pause. Can I tell you something? Just like in this story, Jesus may be getting ready to release the greatest miracle of your life. But that can't happen if you're not submitted to his plan. God has a plan for you. (laughs) Maybe I've convinced you by now, but here's the kicker. You have to submit to that plan. And stewardship has a lot to do with submitting to that plan. Listen, God has your lunch pail. He has a plan for your lunch pail. I know I told you last week, but it's important to God that it's important to God what you do with your stuff, right? Why? Because it's his stuff. And he uses it to build the kingdom and to build your life as well. He's made you with talents. He's made you with gifts. He's given you abilities all because he has a plan for your life that he wants to use for his kingdom. Your stuff belongs to him so that he could use it and you to further the kingdom of God. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm an on purpose. There ain't no accidents in the kingdom of God. That's right. There is no accidents. (laughs) Hey, hey. Listen, I used to hear that stuff. My daddy used to say, you're an accident. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have happened. I should have used protection. 
I got to hear all that stuff as a kid. I don't hear that anymore. I hear my daddy say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I've called you out of darkness, and I brought you into light, and I choose to use you. He he chooses to to confound the wise by using knuckleheads like me. That's the modern-day translation of that verse. When you look up the word peculiar in the original Greek, it's my picture right there. Right there. But here's the rub, and, and there's always a rub, isn't there? He's counting on you. Listen, he doesn't need you, but he's counting on you. I love verse 9 in the text we read. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. <laughs> really? You realize there's, scholars say, up to 25,000 people here who need some food. What I think is incredible about the story is that this little boy who I think was probably just sitting close by overheard the conversation between Jesus and Philip, and he offered his lunch to them. What faith. Philip probably laughed (laughs) about what the little boy brought. Oh, nice. Thanks, kid. What are you doing? I'm not sweating yet. I've got my Pentecostal rag. My Pentecostal rec, thank you very much. I appreciate that. You guys are always looking out for me. Thank you, Brandy. Am I sweating? Am I spitting? It's a Spentecostal church. You know that, right? All right. So this little kid, he approaches the adults and gives them his lunch bill. And, and, and Philip's probably laughing. He, he's probably smirking he, as he hands to the lunch to Jesus. I don't know. I, this probably isn't Philip's heart, but I thought about this a little bit. Here, Jesus, see what you do with that. And I think that a lot of times we're the same way. We approach Jesus the same way. We, we, we show up with what we have, and we, we don't believe God can do anything with it. Here you go, Lord. This is can't even say the cup's half full, but here you go. And we, we walk away with doubt. See, that kid didn't have no doubt at all. Here, here, here's my lunch. Feed everybody. I'll share Jesus. Somehow, with childlike faith, this, this little boy offers all that he has. And listen, and Jesus takes it and he uses it. His faith investment, this little boy's faith investment, triggered one of the greatest miracles of Jesus' ministry. I don't have nothing to give, Pastor Ron. You might be on the brink of releasing one of the greatest ministries the church has ever seen. You read about these great scholars and these great men and women of God, and you think, oh, they must have been something special. They're no different than you and me. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and I know, I know I'm, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I'm not really God's favorite. I am. I am, but here's, here's the qualifier. So are you. So are you. I just choose to claim it. Listen, your insignificance becomes significant in the hands of Jesus. 
So here's some principles that I want you to take home with you. These are in your, in your bulletins as well. Here's the first one. Your lunch is a banquet in the hands of Jesus. Your lunch is a banquet in the hands of Jesus. This little boy's lunch was enough to feed 5,000 men and the kids and the women who were thereby as well in the hands of Jesus. You might not think you have much time. You might not think you have much talent. You might know that you don't have much money or whatever the case may be. But when you give it to Jesus, he'll take it. He'll take your faith investment, and he'll do what only he can do with it. Let's turn it into a miracle. I love the fact that there, well, we'll get to this in a minute, but 12 basketfuls were collected at the end of that. Here's the second one. Stewardship is about obedience, not, a, not excuses. Well, I can't because... I just, I got this to do, and, and I can't, I can't serve at the church because I got to get my nails done. I never heard that one. That's why I used that one. I, I didn't want to use one I actually heard because I don't want to offend anybody here. Actually, you know me better than that. I don't mind doing that sometimes, right? Here, listen. Reason says keep your lunch. It's only a small thing. Greed says, keep your lunch, you're going to need it later. Pride says, share your lunch with someone of influence and they'll remember you forever. Experience says, hide your lunch, you'll be hungrier on the way home. And the world says, your lunch is insignificant and it won't help. But faith says, give your lunch to Jesus and watch him start a miracle. Stewardship is about looking at the world through the eyes of faith, bringing your lunch to Jesus and watching him do the miraculous with it. Here's the, here's the third thing. Stewardship makes life count. This little boy could have listened to all those voices going on in his head about why he shouldn't give away his lunch. And no one would ever have known he lived at all. But here we are, over 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about the gift that that little boy gave. Wow. One little boy, one lunch. Most of us have more than a lunch we can give. Jesus didn't need 40 hours a week from him. Jesus didn't need him to cater the whole event. Jesus took his part blessed multitudes. His gift of a simple lunch has taught generation upon generation about the power of God. What about your life? Are you making your life count for the Lord? Have you offered Jesus your lunch? Here's the last one, and I already referenced this, but for a steward, the leftovers are larger than the gift. This is the principle that you really need to get in your heart today. This is the one that, that qualifies us. This is the one that most of us have a hard time crossing over that threshold. 
that when I give it to the Lord, what I get back in return is always so much more than I've ever given. But for us, it's hard. If I give that, I'm going to be minus that. But Jesus will fill up that bottle to the place where my cup runs over. Twelve baskets full of leftovers from one lunch pail. Twelve times as much as was given was received back. Here's the truth. The economy of the kingdom of God doesn't make sense. I can't explain it, Lucy. I just know it doesn't make sense, but I know it works. The economy of the kingdom of God says the more we give away, the more we have. The more we share, the more we are given. Luke chapter 8, verse 38 says this, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Exponentially, I will add. God's kingdom. It's not common core math kingdom math and it doesn't make sense to us but it makes sense to God one lunch given to Jesus fed the crowd and the leftovers were a hundred times a hundred times more than what was originally given for us to get this concept for us to understand this in our mind we have to look at the world through the eyes of faith through the eyes of a child and watch as Jesus works his plan through our life. We look at our budgets and we say, how? <laughs> we look at, at our vision and we say, away. We look at this facility and we say, oh my. We look at future grapevine and we say, yeah, right. God looks at us and he says, bring me your lunch. Bring me your lunch. Bring me your lunch. Listen, if you're ready to bring God your lunch, and I just want you to stand to your feet. It's that simple. Wow. lot of lunch in this room, Jesus, being offered to you right now. Wow. See, one, one little boy amongst 25,000 people, possibly. And in this room, we have 85 people standing to their feet offering a lunch to Jesus. I don't know, Ron. That should be enough to turn this city upside down. That should be enough to take this state for Jesus. That should be enough to launch the greatest revival this planet has ever seen. Just raise your hands with me in this place. I'm going to come down here with you because I qualify for this prayer. Well, Lord, we're here just like that young boy over 2,000 years ago, and we're 
offering you our lunch. We may get ridiculed, we may be laughed at, we may second-guess our choice at times. But nevertheless, Lord, here we are. Take our lunch. Take what we have. Take who we are. Take who you've created us to be. any person in this room struggling with this right now. God, I pray that their heart would just be melting in your presence. And enemy, we serve you. Notice, we know you're going to tempt us and you're going to tell us that it really can't be done once we get in the car on our way home. But it's not God's, it's not your economy, Satan, it's God's economy. If there's anyone here today with every head bowed and every eye closed and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said yes to the Lord and Savior, this sermon doesn't even pertain to you. Yes, you were fearfully and wonderfully made in your, in your mother's womb. But God can't pour his spirit into your life until you say yes to his son. And so if you're here today and you've never given Jesus an opportunity to be your Lord and Savior, would you just... There's still hands up, so put your hand up and kind of wave it at me. I want to, I want to see you. You're here. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? My right, your left. Anybody over here? How about here in the middle section? Anybody over here? Say, Jesus, I need Jesus in my life. Praise the Lord. Let's pray this prayer together, can we? As we prepare to dismiss from this place, I'm so grateful for the hands I saw go up today who are giving their life to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, oh, forgive me for my sins. I need you in my life, and I offer you my lunch. Lead me from this day forward, and I will serve you the best I can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give it a loud praise. Hallelujah. All right.